0: THE SAVAGE WHO PAINTS HIS IDOL WITH BLOOD, THE SLAVE WHO WORSHIPS A TYRANT, OR THE TYRANT WHO FANCIES HIMSELF A GOD. THE VAIN, THE AMBITIOUS, THE PROUD, THE choleric MAN, THE HERO AND THE COWARD, THE BEGGAR AND THE KING, THE RICH AND THE POOR, THE YOUNG AND THE OLD, ALL LIVE IN A WORLD OF THEIR OWN MAKING, AND THE POET DOES NO MORE THAN DESCRIBE WHAT ALL THE OTHERS THINK AND ACT. If his art is folly and madness, it is folly and madness at second hand. There is warrant for it. Poets alone have not such seething brains, such shaping fantasies, that apprehend more than cooler reason can. The lunatic, the lover, and the poet, and of imagination all compact, one sees more devils than vast hell can hold, the madman, while the lover, all is frantic, sees Helen's beauty in a brow of Egypt. The poet's eye, in a fine frenzy rolling, doth glance from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven, and as imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shape, and gives to airy nothing a local habitation and a name. Such tricks, hath strong imagination if poetry is a dream the business of life is much the same it is a fiction made up of what we wish things to be and fancy that they are because we wish them so there is no other nor better reality ariasto had described the loves of angelica and maduro But was not Maduro, who carved the name of his mistress on the barks of trees, as much enamored of her charms as he? Homer has celebrated the anger of Achilles, but was not the hero as mad as the poet? Plato banished the poets from his commonwealth, lest their descriptions of the natural man should spoil his mathematical man, who was to be without passions and affections, and was neither to laugh nor weep, to feel sorrow nor anger, to be cast down nor elated by anything. This was a chimera, however, which never existed but in the brain of the inventor, and Homer's poetical world has outlived Plato's philosophical republic. Poetry then is an imitation of nature, but the imagination and the passions are a part of man's nature. We shape things according to our wishes and fancies without poetry, but poetry is the most emphatical language that can be found for those creations of the mind which ecstasy is very cunning in. Neither a mere description of natural objects, nor a mere delineation of natural feelings, however distinct or forcible, constitutes the ultimate end and aim of poetry without the heightenings of the imagination. THE LIGHT OF POETRY IS NOT ONLY A DIRECT BUT ALSO A REFLECTED LIGHT, THAT WHILE IT SHOWS US THE OBJECT, THROWS A SPARKLING RADIANCE ON ALL AROUND IT. THE FLAME OF THE PASSIONS COMMUNICATED TO THE IMAGINATION REVEALS TO US, AS WITH A FLASH OF LIGHTNING, THE INMOST RECESSES OF THOUGHT, AND PENETRATES OUR WHOLE BEING. Poetry represents forms chiefly as they suggest other forms, feelings as they suggest forms or other feelings. Poetry puts a spirit of life and motion into the universe. It describes the flowing, not the fixed. It does not define the limits of sense or analyze the distinctions of the understanding, but signifies the excess of the imagination beyond the actual or ordinary impression of any object or feeling. The poetical impression of any object is that uneasy exquisite sense of beauty or power that cannot be contained within itself, that is impatient of all limit, that, as flame bends to flame, strives to link itself to some other image of kindred beauty or grandeur, to enshrine itself, as it were, in the highest forms of fancy, and to relieve the aching sense of pleasure by expressing it in the boldest manner and by the most striking examples of the same quality in other instances poetry according to lord bacon for this reason has something divine in it because it raises the mind and hurries it into sublimity by conforming the shows of things